Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. So uh, Panda Bear walks into a bar, looks at the bartender, and he says, I'll have a gin and tonic. Bartender says, all right, but uh, I got to ask you, why the pause? He says, I don't know. I was born with him. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from Jason Rhine, bassist for the band Rotary Downs. And coming up, actor and author Wallace Shawn, dumb mascots, the FBI versus Garage Rock, adult food for kids, and Twee Music's Last Trot. But first, everybody, it's time for Small Talk. very excited about small talk today just mixing it up man it's good to see secret to long romance so (laughs) so brendan this week uh the headlines all seem to come from the discount bin where lots of elton john albums live that's right and and where now uh arlen specter lives after the primaries he's going to be working for chief his crossover album as a democrat didn't work out not so good worked out for garth brooks greece's economy took another dive you can now buy that country for like five bucks and (laughs) the euro hit record lows against the dollar bad time for the eurozone but very good time for me because i'm going on vacation over there in a week as i said bad time for the eurozone that's not cool hey when you're over there can you bring me back portugal I could really, I think it would look good in my yard. Anyway, for headlines from the novelty bin, we asked our friends at Marketplace. Matt Berger, senior web producer at Marketplace, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Looks like I'm going to be talking about Wenlock and Mendeville. They're the new mascots for the 2012 Olympics in London. I've seen photos of these characters. They're, they look like guys dressed in spandex with eyeballs for faces. Their names are Wenlock and Mendeville? It's Teletubbies gone bad is what it is. I just feel like there are so many British symbols that they could use for this. You'd have like a bobby throwing a javelin. Some fish and chips. There should be two characters called fish and chips. One could like be kicking a soccer ball. The other one could be swimming in a giant pool of vinegar. Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter for Marketplace, what's your story this weekend? Well, in the Senate, they're thinking about capping ATM fees. Something I can totally get behind. That would be amazing. I know, right? But not all the senators understand it because apparently a lot of them don't really know how ATMs work. Senator Ben Nelson says he's never used an ATM. (laughs) So these people who are supposed to regulate the banking industry, like they can't even get $20 from a cash machine to pay for lunch? Brendan, they don't get cash out for lunch. That's what lobbyists are for. Rob Schmitz, reporter and future China correspondent at Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, I'm going to be talking about a library book borrowed by our first First President George Washington, and it was finally returned this week, 221 years late. <laughs> what, what's the return fees on that? $300,000. Does somebody have to pay that? Uh, actually not, but the staff at Washington's home in Mount Vernon, Virginia, offered to replace the book with another copy of the same edition. So our nation's president would not tell a lie, but he would steal from libraries. Exactly. I think this calls into question the entire character of our nation. Yeah, I'm starting to really question this this country, which is why I'm going to China. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history and then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is a tall, proud tree, its mighty roots fed by a stream of nourishing booze. That's poetry. Yeah, man, I've been hiking. Uh... <laughs> 
on booze. First, the history. This week back in 1965, the FBI wrapped up one of its strangest investigations. Now, the folks at your dinner party might guess it was a murder case or maybe a UFO sighting. Michelle Phillippe's here with the real story. In the mid-60s, American taxpayers funded a two-year investigation of a frat party song. More precisely, the frat party song, a.k.a. Louie Louie by the Kingsmen. Now, the tune was originally performed in the 50s by doo-wop band The Pharaohs. In their version, you can hear the lyrics nice and clear. It's the lament of a Jamaican telling a bartender, Louie, about the girlfriend he left across the sea. But the Kingsman's cover in 1963 was anything but clear. Recorded in one take for a grand total of 36 bucks, the vocals were garbled beyond recognition, which made it a great song to drink tons of beer to. And that's probably how the rumors began. Drunken frat kids swore they heard something dirty in the mumbled lyrics. Yeah, something about <gasps> sex or something. Parents caught wind of the rumor and were certain they could hear filthy obscenities too. Soon the song was banned in Indiana and the FBI was on the case. Agents spent months interrogating the Kingsmen and listening to Louie Louie over and over again. They tried to decipher the lyrics. Was the line, me gotta go? Or grab her way down low? FBI lab technicians analyzed the tune at every possible speed. Their final conclusion? Uh, not sure. The Bureau's final report declared the song, quote, unintelligible at any speed, and therefore pretty hard to label obscene or otherwise. Louie Louie went on to become one of the most covered pop tunes ever, even though most people still have no idea what the song's about. So that's the history. Now for the drink to serve along with it. I'm on the line with David Welch. He is a bar manager and co-owner of the excellent restaurant Lincoln in the Kingsman's hometown of Portland, Oregon. And David, you've heard the history. What drink does it inspire you to make? Well, I was thinking, seeing as how the Kingsmen deem themselves the ultimate party band, I thought we would make the ultimate party drink. So, uh, so it's Budweiser and Jägermeister. <laughs> Even better, how about a kamikaze? Oh, that, yeah. it's been a long time. It has. The kamikaze is one of those drinks that you would suck down in college. So I thought I would, uh, since we're a little more grown up like the Kingsmen are now, I thought I'd, <laughs> I'd make an adult version of the kamikaze. So classic kamikaze is equal parts vodka, uh, orange liqueur, so like a triple sec or Cointreau, and lime juice. I don't think I ever knew that, and I don't think I ever cared. It really is a delicious cocktail if it's made carefully. So the adult version uh, we can call the Louie Louie. Of course. And it's made equal parts. Uh, I'm going to call for a specific vodka. This is a Portland-made vodka called Madoyoff. So one ounce of Madoyoff vodka, mm -hmm. one ounce of fresh-squeezed lime juice. Excellent. And then instead of triple sec or Cointreau, I'm going to throw a little curveball, and we're going to use uh, a liqueur called Aperol which is a rhubarb and orange liqueur, sort of in the Campari family. Think of it as a little bit sweeter. All right. It seems, it seems unusual that we'd be drinking such a highfalutin thing while listening to such a, a song that was recorded for 36 bucks. But <laughs> is there a cheapness anywhere in this drink? Uh, 
the cheapness is going to be when you shake it and shoot it. How does that sound? <laughs> and then you can slur your words just like the Kingsman. Exactly. Man, that drink is not a kamikaze. That's like a private jet. It's a swankakaze. <laughs> but no, seriously, that FBI stuff is amazing. It is. Uh, apparently, the REM division of the FBI still hasn't cracked Chronic Town. <laughs> Still code-breaking. Yeah. And don't even ask about Task Force Seeger Ross. I won't. <laughs> they're, they're still hard at work. That investigation is ongoing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, investigate our website. It is dinnerpartydownload.com. Our guest of honor this week is actor, playwright, and now author Wallace Shawn. You may have seen him in My Dinner with Andre, The Princess Bride, and I didn't even realize this until recently, you play Blair Waldorf's stepdad in Gossip Girls? Gossip Girl. Gossip Girl. See, this is how far, this is the public radio world that I live in. <laughs> I don't even have a television. You're, you're, you're out of touch. Well, I don't have a television, but well, um, I'm lording it over you because you don't know <laughs> that title. Well, we're here to talk about your book because this is public radio. It's called Essays. And one of the themes in the book is you explore how your life of privilege is made possible due to the suffering of others. I was wondering when you started exploring this relationship. It was really only in my late 30s that I began to read certain things or be willing to listen to certain thoughts that made me realize that poor people don't necessarily believe in the way the world is organized now and might even be willing to take some of what has been appropriated by the rich and feed their own children with it. Once you start to examine your life as, I, you know, I'm, I'm being served by these people and I'm oppressing these people, how do you allay the guilt? You know, how do you continue on with your everyday living once you kind of have this realization? Well, I think we all have different lies, really, that we tell ourselves to justify inequality, which are not conscious. They only become conscious perhaps when a child asks, why do we have more than others? And then the parent pulls some version of these rationalizations out and expresses it nervously. Or they become apparent when an author such as yourself points them out to us. <laughs> All right, well, we have two childlike questions that we ask on every episode of our show. And the first one is, what question are you tired of being asked in interviews? Which do you like better, writing or acting, is asked quite a bit of me when I ever am asked anything. Which is sort of like, which do you like better, dogs or peace in the Middle East? Because <laughs> they're nothing like, they're quite different, and I don't compare them. And, and I always give a dumb answer because there's nothing to say to it. All right, we, we have a second question as well, which is... Um, Tell us something we don't know, either about you or the world, something that we could use to kind of dazzle people or intrigue people at a gathering. I mean, at some dinner parties, everyone would already know this, and <laughs> at others, they wouldn't care. But I find it terribly interesting that when he was 18, James Joyce was an unbelievable worshiper of Ibsen. Interesting. For me, it's, it's so fascinating because Ibsen is often mistakenly thought of as a rather melodramatic and crude writer. 
And it's amazing and fascinating to me that James Joyce was so inspired by him. You know, it's interesting. Your dinner party conversations, they might talk about Ibsen. My dinner party conversations, they talk about Gossip Girl. And I'm comfortable in neither world. Uh, well, you may just not be comfortable at dinner parties. You, you've, you've had to invent an entire radio program to make yourself feel better about them. This is true. This is why I created this fiction. Man, Brendan, while Sean just called you out. <laughs> Tell me about it, man. I, I, he made me feel so fragile. Yeah, I know. It's he a, just cut to the core. It's, it's inconceivable what he did <laughs> oh, to you. Oh, there we go. We almost made it out of here without you doing it. No, but I did it. Why do you think this man retreats to Ibsen, Rico? <laughs> That's self-correction. It was necessary. Oh, my God. Also necessary joining our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash dinnerpartydownload. So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we talk about food. Yes, and Brendan, this week we are going to talk about the most controversial subject in the restaurant world. Cocaine. The other one. <laughs> Children. That that will kill you too, man. That's true. And or give you a heart attack. Just as expensive. I actually have friends who will practically leave a restaurant if there are a lot of kids running around. So this week I decided to speak with Melissa Fox Rivette. She just opened a new restaurant in Toronto. It's called Blue Plate. And more importantly, she just published an article in the Ottawa Citizen newspaper Jesus, about man. kids and food. And we just do 15 minutes every two weeks. I know. She's a, <laughs> she's a go-getter. Um, anyway, I told her I put a link to this article on our Facebook page. And people either thought you were a hero or a child hater, which I'm assuming as a mother is not the case. <laughs> no, of course not. I like children. I like puppies. I like girl guides. I like senior citizens. I just don't like them to poop in the middle of my dining room. I don't like them to wipe their boogers under my chairs. And I, and I don't think anybody wants that in their home or place of business either. Did that That's, happen to you? Did any of those things actually Of happen? course, constantly. And I think it's because there's the quid pro quo, right? Because they're paying money, they should be entitled to behave in, in any manner that they want. And my feeling about dining out in restaurants, whether you're an adult or whether you're a child, is that you should approach it as if you are going to your mother-in-law's or grandma's in the case of a child. But when you're talking about children, very often in the situations you're talking about, they behave unruly, you know, when they go over to grandma's or something like that. I mean, is it fair to expect kids to behave like grown-ups in any situation, much less a restaurant? I'm not asking that children behave like grown-ups. Children make noise. I understand that and I accept that. And if they're making happy sounds because they're in a welcoming, accepting environment and they're with people that they love doing things that they love, I think that's great. If they're being completely ignored by their parents and sent off to toddle around and get into trouble and get in the mm. way, I think that's irresponsible parenting. I should say, in this article, you don't just write about kids' behavior when they're eating, but about what kids eat. And you think they should eat what adults do. Well, You're not a big fan of kids' menus. There are two ways I would look at that. We, in fact, have a children's menu at our restaurant. Oh. It's just a, a condensed, less expensive version of the adult menu with smaller portions. So if you're going to have a kid's menu, my suggestion, and at least what we try to follow, is that we would serve the same arboreal rice and the kid's rice pudding as we would to the adults. As a parent, 
I think that at least in the Western world, North America, it's a very kid-centric culture. For the, better or for worse in some people's opinion. For the most part, I think for worse. Yeah. I think a kiddie food culture is, is a way that we as parents assuage our guilt about not spending enough quality time with our children. And the time that we do spend, we spend by caving. We all go and buy bread and cold meat and juice and fruit to make our own lunches, but then we buy Lunchables and Junior Juice and things for mm. our kids. My opinion is feed them what you eat. So uh, I have a question. Your restaurant's been open now for how many weeks? Two weeks. What is the most popular item on the kids' menu so far? Uh, fish and chips. But I'm guessing that they're not, you know, fish fingers. No, God, no. No, no, no. Fish don't have fingers. Man, now that is a woman after my own heart. My own black, curmudgeonly food heart. Because, check it, if more people listen to her and just fed kids grown-up food... You're going to talk about cupcakes, aren't you? That's right. Which are children's food. If everyone just fed kids grown-up food, there would be no cupcakes. But here's the problem. Actually, I, I mentioned cupcakes to her because I could hear this argument coming from you. <laughs> uh-huh. And she actually loves cupcakes. Dude. She doesn't think they're kids' food. We lost another one. So that's the dinner party download for this week. You can keep up with us on the Facebook and uh, the Twitter. We're at Dinner Party DNLD. And this week, special thanks to Sean Cole and special apologies to the women in our audience. Rico Galliano is off the market. Oh, Congratulations, man. Rico. He's getting married in a couple weeks. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Which means he won't be on the DVD in the next couple episodes. We're going to figure that out as we go along. But Rico, congratulations. And now here's One for the Road, a song to play on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party, wedding, wherever you find yourself. So I'm tying the knot. Alas, a band I really love is breaking up. Uh, the band is called Voxtrot. You should catch them on their farewell tour, which starts this weekend. This is from their first EP. It's called Long Haul. Bon appétit. Somebody told me if you live this way, then it's a long, long haul. I want to catch a love and make it stay. Oh, it's a long, long haul. When you've known darkness, you Talk to
I'm And we're the FBI! Drop the microphones, you obscene scumbag! Call Stipe's lawyer. I said drop them!